Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town. This is your host, King13, joining you today. I'm actually riding the train, and we're going to go on a trip into the wonderful world of sobriety. And today I am joined by a wonderful woman. I just um, actually did her story, MMC13, and a few things actually came up that I wanted to know more about because they sounded really interesting. And she told me that she had been diagnosed with a couple of, and we'll call them disorders because that's the the, the terminology that is used. And I just want to say we are not health professionals. We are raw and unedited. We always are. This is just her experience And I think it's really interesting and we wanted to share and we hope it helps. So the first one was misokinesia and it says it is a hatred of movements. It's a psychological phenomenon that is defined by a strong negative affective or emotional response to the sight of someone's small and repetitive movements. Now, it can be lots of different things, obviously, such as seeing someone fidget with a hand or foot. So that was what the definition was there. And the second one that we're going to talk about today is misophonia. And that is a disorder of decreased tolerance to specific sounds or their associated stimuli that has been characterized using different language and methodologies. So it's reactions to trigger sounds that can range from anger to annoyance. And basically, it activates a fight or flight response. So, MMC, thank you for joining me. So, do you want to take it from there for the listeners? Absolutely. Thank you for uh, giving me a chance to speak on this. I um, I think uh, you'll discover in, in my story, one of the problems with these disorders is that they're really not well known. Um, and so they're, they're relatively new diagnoses. They only put diagnosis codes to them, I think, about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and in the medical world, that's, that's very new. That's not enough time for something to be widespread, widely recognized. So I'll kind of I'll kind of go back to the beginning on when this started for me. And, and I, I hope that if there are other listeners, they find this helpful um, because I think it's more common and more widespread than than we realize. So um, I was about I was in preteen years. So I think about 11 or 12 when I, I first started to notice these reactions. And um, and it was it was the misophonia initially. So it was the sounds that came to me first, although through some research, I found that these two conditions often partner together. So if one, if someone has one, they frequently have some of the other as well. Um, But my, my mother was a habitual gum chewer and popper. And my dad was a very loud eater. And so both of those things just became unbearable to me. And it it was like a switch flipped. Um, And I just, it would make me, it would send me into tears. It would send me into these fits of anger. I would have to just run from the room and barricade myself somewhere and try to refocus my brain on something else because I would just obsess over that sound and I would hear it repeated over and over in my head. And it's just, you know, and, and I, we had no idea what was going on. We had no clue. Um, and then, you know, in, in, uh, conjunction with that, I started to notice that visible 
things bothered me as well. So movements. Um, my dad had a habit of fidgeting with the crease in his jeans by his knee when he was sitting. And I, the sight of it would have a similar reaction to me. I just couldn't be around it. I would obsess over it and I would have these anger and sadness and, and these just irrational reactions to it. And so, um, as you can imagine, I spent a lot of time isolating as that started. Um, I could no longer eat meals with my family. Um, I would be in a panic if they started to fill their plates before I had gotten mine and got out of the room. If they took it, you know, heaven forbid they took a bite uh, before I could I could make my exit um, because it was just a catastrophe at an emotional level. And um, wow, it just sounds like, you know, my head all of a sudden is going to so many different places, but please continue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, of course, my my poor family was baffled um, and they they did what they could at the time to try to find some sort of answers. Um, we went to a psychologist. We went to a ear, nose and throat specialist. Um, I think the one thing we didn't do was a neurologist. And, and I think that might have been the most beneficial way to go, because now they're starting to identify that this does have to do with the brain um, and it's. It's missed signals uh, in the brain. So most people have a filter um, for these little annoyances. And so the things that trigger misophonia or misokinesia are often things that people who don't have it either find mildly annoying or don't notice at all. And so the, the hard thing with being somebody with this is that those who find it mildly annoying think that they have the same thing that you do. And so they think that you're being really dramatic and that you're overreacting and that this is just a pet peeve. And, you know, and so trying to get that understanding was really, really tough. Um, and and I, I knew people that would intentionally exacerbate it, bite a chip right in my ear, um, mm. you know, just because they didn't understand. And, and I get that now, but it, it damaged a lot of relationships at the time. Um, I really isolated from, from the world. Uh, if I was in social settings, um, I would generally, I would have my hands up around my eyes all the time because I was blocking visual stimulation. Um, I was blocking the fidgeting fingers. Um, I kept headphones with me constantly and listened to music everywhere I went to try to try to avoid those those auditory triggers. Uh, it made school next to unbearable. Um, I actually mm -hmm. dropped out of high school when I was 16 as soon as I could mm -hmm. because that classroom setting was just so uncomfortable. Um, and so it, it definitely drove to a lot of, of isolation. Um, and I do think that this was part of my drinking as well, because that provided a buffer and those mm. things weren't quite as noticeable anymore. Mm. Um, and so I, I do think that they go hand in hand a bit. And I think it was a, a self-developed coping mechanism of a sort. Um, but yeah, we just, we tried and tried to find answers and these, these labels, these names for these conditions did not even exist at that time. Um, I was adopted. Uh, I think I mentioned that in my last one. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and so this was actually the thing that drove us to try to find my birth mother. 
um, because we were desperate for answers and we hoped that she would have them. We hoped that maybe someone in the family had this and perhaps they'd found a way to deal with it because it was just chaos for my family. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very frustrating for them. Of course it was frustrating for me, you know, um, my brother kind of never really understood it, didn't really take it seriously. Um, my parents definitely did, but I mean, you can't expect people to never eat, never chew, you know, it's just not realistic. Um, and so uh, we ultimately tracked down my, my biological mother and um, she did not have answers. Nobody in the family had had anything similar. Um, her initial thought uh, was that she had tried to hide her pregnancy for the first number of months and her mother was the only one who knew about it. And so she was eating a lot to try to intentionally put on weight. Um, with what I know of it now, I don't think that that contributed, but at the time it was, it was a maybe it was, you know, I guess that might, you know, lead to something like this. We never know what experiences in utero ultimately affect us with. Um, and so it was for me, it was absolutely the worst in preteen and teenage years. Um, and I'm, I, I'm very curious uh, to see as clinical studies start to roll out, if there's a correlation between how extreme it is and hormone levels. Um, because my own personal theory is that while I was going through those changes of hormones, um, it was that much worse for me. And I'd be curious to know what others' experiences have been like with it. Um, I've been in some support groups since then, and a lot of older adults um, still have very extreme uh, symptoms of it. And so that, that may just be my own personal experience that it got better with age uh, because it certainly doesn't sound like that's everybody's experience with it. But thankfully for me, um, I've somehow learned, I've, I've learned to live with it for the most part. Um, and I've, I've actually gotten better at communicating about it. So my bosses know about it um, because meeting rooms can ultimately be very uncomfortable. Um, clicking pens and tapping feet. And, you know, a lot of times food is provided at meetings. And so um, I have let them know that, you know, sometimes I'll stay as long as I can, but sometimes I'm going to have to excuse myself for my mental health. Um, and so they're, they're very understanding of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's my, um, my experience with it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's a lot to have to live with and knowing that there is no treatment. I tried to find something. And like you said, this is an, it's fairly early that they have diagnosed and put something to this. The fact that your parents were concerned, that's terrific. But at the time, what did the doctor say? Because I would be thinking, oh, my God, she got oversensitive hearing. You know, yes. is there something? Like, I mean, you must have gone obviously down completely different routes. Is it, it's obviously a, neuro, no, a neurological, get it right, King, a neurological, <laughs> um, you know, nervous type. Yeah, and you can. You, that's exactly how I feel, that the, the message somehow wasn't true when it got to your brain. It, something mm -hmm. had happened. The filter wasn't working, like you said. Yep. But that is a lot to have to live with. And then have to change the way you live. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I definitely made a lot of accommodations. For one, you will never catch me in a movie theater. Um, the popcorn is just insane. And that is like one food that 
everybody eats with their mouths open. I don't know what it is about popcorn. Oh, oh I can drop it to tell you something. Sorry, MMC. <laughs> Eating with your mouth open. I'm sorry, I'm English. You do not do it, people. Right. Please. We Absolutely. don't want to see what no. is down your throat. Just don't want to see it. Please don't move it. So, and I don't even, I'm learning all about this as you are speaking. But I'm, right, I'm right. With you on that one. Yep. So, yes. These things are irritating me. And I'm thinking, do I have this now? <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. And honestly, I have, met, I've met a number of people over the years that I do feel have a touch of it. And it's, mm. it's so hard to draw that line between. Mm-hmm. What is just a pet peeve? What just irks you or is disrespectful or is rude versus having an unnatural response to these sort of stimuli? And it it can be very hard to define that. Well, that's like I said in the introduction, right? You get it activates a flight or fight response for you. Yes. There is uh, like, I want, yeah, like, you know, and there's only, there's one sound that I could, and I think most people would agree the nails down the blackboard is just, you know, please don't. Sure. Kids, kids are so mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Kids and are you cool. wonder why you don't share when you're a kid because it's <laughs> against you. They're all jerks, all of them. <laughs> oh, they're so mean. And, you know, it's hard to express something when you and your family don't understand what it is you have. Right. And people can be mean. You're right, you know, and I, I'm sorry that you have it. And I, I hear you, it validates, because I know someone very close to me we were chatting about this, who driving in the car, and I decided to, and I never eat the car, never. I just don't like doing it. And I was really hungry, and we'd taken a road trip, and um, I had my favourite chips, and I was waiting, and I got into them, and the sound of the paper packet mm-hmm. nearly caused us to have an accident my uh, husband went ballistic wow like, what are you doing with that noise that packet now the blue i was like honey i've never known you to be reactive in such a way uh, and it drove him mad and i said to him i went home and i said right you've got mmc said <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry so again i was never aware of this so please Please go on because this is, I'm sure there's so many listeners going, no, that's me. That's me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I encourage everyone who has had experiences like this to look into it and do a little research on misophonia and misokinesia and, you know, check out the support groups. If you're on social media, they exist on Facebook. I'm sure they exist on other platforms. Um, the, The funny thing about the, the, Uh, support groups is that I actually had to um, stop following them because people talking about their triggers all the time was kind of triggering to me. Yes. yes. In in an ideal world, and even when we're in sobriety, I have found the same thing. I've been going into different communities and there's a particular community where it's really sad and a lot of people are very depressed and I find that I come out and I'm feeling like, oh, my lordy, I can't help them all and my empath is going crazy sure. and I had to step back, Yep, which is counterproductive to what I'm doing, you know, at I Am Sober and for Sober Town and everything else. But I think there's only so much, again, limits. You know, we need to know our limits and you need to know yours of what we can take that is good for us now because primarily sobriety is the number one and so we have to be honest about it don't we you have to explain I'm glad you are whether it's meetings and and I've got all these visions in my mind of oh how does how does MMC cope with this and that and just everything in life and then you have to consider it because 
that would drive me. I, I don't, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Yeah. It's brutal. And it's, it's, yeah. And again, you know, kind of back to the, the misunderstood thing, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of lucky that, you know, all the people in my life know about this and it started early and, and all the, all the folks who are, you know, close to me, my best friends, my, my partners, my family, um, you know, they've really grown to, to try to do what they, what they can to support me in this. I actually, it was one of the most touching things. Um, a couple of my friends had a barbecue, uh, last summer, I think it was, and they invited me over and they actually told all the guests, please do not bring chips please bring something other because chips, it's just, it's a super loud food. And so in respect of me, they actually asked that people did not bring chips to this. And I was, I was almost moved to tears. Like, oh my God, that is so thoughtful. Um, and how beneficial for the calories in the count. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Hey, they were doing it. They were doing a good deed for everybody. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who needs oh. chips? I do. No, no, no. That's my next. That's my next battle. So yeah, please. That's really thoughtful. That is a really sweet thing to do. It was. It was really, really touching. And and uh, my mom, you know, makes a, a strong effort to not chew gum around me. Another interesting thing, and I, I just read about this not too long ago, was it was talking about how uh, sufferers, you know, so something that people will try to do to accommodate us, like for my mom's uh, situation, she would try to just tuck the her gum in her cheek instead of spitting it out. And for me, that was just like a time bomb waiting to go off. I could not forget that it was there, um, you know, and it was it was just this hair trigger waiting for the first movement of her jaw to know that she was chewing that gum again. And and it was so hard to try to relay that, that, you know, it, it's and again, and this is something I've read from other people who have it, is that you're just in this spiral until you can totally get away from that and totally be convinced that that trigger is not going to come back. That is all you can focus your energy on. And so if you can't get away from the situation, you need the situation to kind of remedy itself with the help of these people. And when you don't get that, it's, it is, you're trapped with, with fight or flight um, with no option to, to fly with no option to get away. And so those emotions just build and build and you're totally aware that it's an irrational response to this, but it, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you can control it any better. And just because it's irrational to MMC doesn't mean that it's not valid. You know, the pain is real. Absolutely. So how have you learned, because we, we spoke about this, that we, there is no real medication. It's fairly new. I don't think they're doing any many trials, and they might be now, hopefully, but when I read at the time, they weren't. There was no randomised clinical trials. And I could be wrong there, people, so don't quote me. So how have you, what tools have you learned that you can share with the listeners that have helped? Because I don't know what you can do. There's, there's not a lot, unfortunately. And that's why I feel grateful that mine seems to have gotten less severe as I've gotten Mm. older, because if I had to live with it at the level it was at as a teenager, um, I think I would be an absolute recluse. I think I would be single. I think I would interact with people in very controlled uh, environments Um, I just, you know, the level it was at, at that time was absolutely unbearable. And, and so I'm so grateful that it's somewhat gotten better. Um, the tools that I use now is, 
you know, avoid situations where I absolutely know it's going to be too much stimulation. Um, I don't do large crowd events often at all. Um, the only exception to that might be uh, a concert from time to time because they're super loud. Once the music starts, it kind of drowns everything else out. But even that mm -hmm. on the visual front can be challenging. Um, but yeah, things like the movies and, and uh, parties and all that sort of stuff. I just generally don't participate in a lot of that. Um, I do let people around me know. And so my, like I mentioned, kind of my whole family knows, even my extended family. So we go to a family reunion and it's not surprising if, if I disappear for a while mm -hmm. and, you okay. know, I go mm -hmm. away for 20, 30 minutes and then come back because they know I just need to decompress for a while. Um, right. And I was going to ask you that. How long does it take you to just get a little bit of peace? I would say for me, it's probably, 15 to 20 minutes uh, is, oh, is necessary. And that would be in a very quiet place, no interruptions, um, really almost a meditative sort of state, focusing on my breathing, focusing mm -hmm. on non-triggering sounds, wind or birds or music or something that just totally kind of shuts off that repeat cycle in my head of the, of the sound that, that got the trigger going. And I want to ask you this, and this is just something that I've experienced. Um, my kitchen and lounge and dining is all together. And when I go and put the kettle on, it can really annoy my husband and he turns the volume up. But what happens, what I find is sometimes when I'm trying, if noises annoy him, which for the most part they don't, but there are certain things that do. When I try to do them quieter, it annoys him more. Does that happen to you that you become more sensitive, like you said, and the reason I ask this is about the gum in the in the cheek with your mum. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That sounds exactly like that situation to me. And his so his trigger is different from mine. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he's stuck in that that waiting to pounce sort of right. sort of feeling. And so it doesn't help that it's just partial of that sound because his brain right. is already waiting for it to be worse. Right. Well, this is terrific because now you've given me awareness that I need to, you know, work around. Yeah, and and uh, because I think we all get activated by sounds. I mean, I don't yeah. know, there used to be a show on television called Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton, and God bless him, he's passed away. And he would have famous people on and he would talk to them and interview them, but he would ask them certain questions. And one of the questions was, what noise or sound do you love and what noise or sound do you hate? So let me ask you, which one do you like and which one is the worst for you? Oh, um, or it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, it, it does. I'm, I'm you know? trying to think. So, um, what do you enjoy? I enjoy, uh, wind and mm -hmm. running water and wind chimes and birds. Um, very, very natural sounds. Uh, I find mm -hmm. incredibly soothing. Um, so those are probably some of my favorite sounds. 
Yeah, we could go anywhere with the other one, so we, we don't want to bring up the bad things. I, I liked it. But then he used to, one of the other questions was what um, what curse word do you say? What curse word, you know, your favourite curse word? And I used to laugh at him. But he used to ask them some really interesting questions and questions that I had never heard before. Because now in sobriety we are all aware and I think we are all appreciating nature. And I love the sound of birds. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely adore them. And it's so lovely to hear, you know, the founder of, of Silvertown has just moved from Arizona to Tennessee. He sends a video the other day and I can hear the birds. I can see the greenery. The sky oh. is blue and it's 50 degrees in Tennessee. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like beautiful, just getting back out there. And if you close your eyes, that was all there was. Yes. You know, not traffic and I've got boats and planes. And I used to think I liked all that. And sure. Do, you know, and I do, it stimulates me because, you know, I can watch and laugh and everything else. But there's a beauty to just being. Yes. Yep. I would agree with that entirely. And I, I would say the more man-made the sound, the, the less I like it. So just like you said, too there much traffic or airplanes or any of that. And those aren't necessarily triggering sounds for me, but they're not comfortable sounds. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Wow. So how these days, you said that you found that it has diminished. Now, don't forget, you were seven and a half years sober and your brain said, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am curious as if, you know, maybe you put it into some sort of, not remission, but halted the extremity of it, if that's what I'm trying to say. Interesting. Um, It's possible. So... I mean, we probably don't know, do we? They may not know. I I drank through the majority of my 20s. um, And I think I I remember it still being fairly acute through through a lot of that time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to say, yeah, Mm -hmm. where where it started to decline. Was it because I I was numbing it out for a while and my brain figured out how to do that without the booze once I got sober? Um, I mean, obviously... Sorry, doll, but when you were drinking, it wasn't as bad. Did you find because you are anesthetized? That word again. You know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Anesthetized. You know when you're numb. Yes, (laughs) anesthetized. When you're numb. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, Um, So yes, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Exactly. It just being that it dulls all your senses. Um, it, it, that was one of probably one of my favorite wow. things about booze. That was right? that was pure relief for you. No wonder. Yep. yep, exactly. Interesting. So, as we stand today, and let's bring it forward. How? What have you found out? And where are you at with these diagnoses today? And what's happening out there in the world? Are they doing something about it? And these support groups and everything. Just so for listeners, you know where they can go to get some help and. Absolutely. So um, I am seeing some some movement towards clinical studies, um, and I, I have signed up for everyone that I see come across my way. I haven't been selected for anything, and I don't know what funding looks like for this. Again, being a little-known disorder, it's hard to get traction in the medical community. 
Um, but I do believe as the research continues, they're going to find much more people suffer from it. And I think it's mm. a spectrum. I think it's milder mm-hmm. for some, mm-hmm. I think it's extreme for others, but I think, you know, so many people deal with this on, on some level. Um, I, I recommend the support groups, um, if nothing else to find resources, you know, there may be books that they found that help them, um, you know, meditation techniques, things like that, that I just, I just sort of came across those things organically learning what worked for me and what didn't. Um, but you know, there's, there's been a lot of trial and error from other sufferers. Um, the other thing I would recommend, there is at least one neurologist that I know of that deals specifically with this. Um, and so there are likely more, um, and, um, you know, if someone's really, really suffering and it's just unbearable, I would absolutely seek out treatment with one of them. Um, like you mentioned, I'm not aware of any medications, but, you know, just going through therapy and just realizing Mm. that you are not alone. Other people Mm. suffer with this. Um, you know, it's okay to set boundaries around it. It's okay to protect yourself and your mental health and say, you know, these, these situations are not comfortable for me. And so I don't participate in them. Um, you know, much as we protect ourselves, okay, maybe bars aren't safe for me anymore at this time. So I don't go, um, you know, we have to do what's best for us, whether or not the people around us understand. And I think knowing that there's a supportive community, um, knowing that, it's okay. And knowing, knowing that this is something that this exists. I think that was one of the biggest weights off my shoulder was to go, Oh my God, I'm not crazy. Um, you know, this, this is something, this is something misfiring. It's not just that I'm weird, um, was just a massive relief to me. Yeah. And medicine these days, I mean, they're coming up, you know, and diagnosing all sorts of things. And, you know, as you've spoken today, I my mind goes to so many people I know already yes. that I've never even thought about, um, which I'm sure the listeners are having, you know, maybe a similar experience. I just want to bring this. I'm not going to go into this in too much detail, but I did write some notes about this just for the listeners, and it may be of interest. I just read that there's something called DST in autism, and it's a combination of hypercorsis, misophonia, and phonophobia. So the hypercorsis is thought to result from excessive gain in the central auditory system, and misophonia may be caused by the attribution of excess salience to certain sounds, exactly like you've just expressed it. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned the word spectrum, that's the only reason I thought I would read that out. Sure. Um, because, again, this is stuff that I have got from Mrs. Google and from, you know, hopefully really good resources, and I've written it word for word, people. So, look, this has been really enlightening. Is there anything else that you want to add that, you know, and share with the listeners before we say goodbye? I, I think that covers the majority of it. Um, I, I will say autism was one of the things they considered when I was a teenager and I did not uh, test positive for it, but right. I would not be at all surprised to see these disorders partner with other with other uh, mental health conditions. Um, so that would not be, and, and people who have autism often are already sensitive to certain stimulations and certain contacts. So these, these two conditions would just pair perfectly in my mind. 
for the perfect storm, really, for those poor sufferers. And in my experience and the people that I know, including my husband and a lot of other people that I know, extremely, extremely intelligent. Sure. I am finding, as I am thinking, as you are talking, these people I know are extremely intelligent. I think that's a thing that also goes with autism, doesn't it? That these, they're mm-hmm. so brilliant. I mean, I remember Rain Man, and that was a beautiful, beautiful movie with Dustin Hoffman. Yes. Um, oh, just beautiful. But, look, I just want to thank you. This has been wonderful, and certainly for me, whilst we always talk about sobriety, you know, these things are important, as you said, so people do not feel alone, and this is why we do it, listeners. So if you want to go and seek professional help, please do. I want to thank you, MC, for joining me today, and we are members of the I Am Sober community. It is a free app you can download. It counts your alcohol-free days. You can post, you can comment, make friends. We have Zooms that are unofficial. We also have a lot of resources here at Sobertown, so please have a look around when we are um, when we say goodbye, and we will see you again soon. So for me, King, I am signing off. And MMC, I just want to thank you. You want to say goodbye? Absolutely. It was definitely my pleasure. And and anyone who's on the community on the app wants to ask me questions about this, please feel free, and I'd I'd be happy to connect uh, and and discuss anything anybody wants to ask. Oh, that is really super kind of you. You heard that, people. Make sure. <laughs> Leave a note on Sobertown and she will get back in touch with you. So there you go. You've got a connection. And I will see you next time. I'm going to pull into the station. It's been a wonderful ride on this train. And just take care of everybody and pour that poison down the sink. <laughs>